Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. It's page 613 of the Pew Bible, if you don't have a regular Bible with you. We've been working our way Isaiah from Isaiah 40 to 66. Now, we have noted that Isaiah has some very neat divisions. Um, by neat, I don't mean like cool. I mean like uh, very author-specific designed divisions. The first 38, 37 chapters uh, are lumped together, and then you get a little interlude there in the middle, and then chapters 40 through 66 are their own unit. In fact, some scholars have argued that 40 through 66 is one big poem, and that I'm sympathetic to that view. I think that's probably the case. Now, since we have our intern coming, and he'll be handling adult Sunday school as part of his internship, we're going to be taking a little break from this section uh, following this week. And we're going to end with chapter 52, and we'll pick up with chapter 53 when we come back to it following our intern's ministry. The irony is it's a great place to stop from a number standpoint. Nice clean cut there. We finish at chapter 52, and we'll pick up at chapter 53. It's an easy one to remember. The trouble is, as many of you know, the chapters and verse divisions weren't introduced in the Bible until well after the Bible was written. So from a, from a poetry standpoint, we're actually breaking at kind of an inconvenient place. But I figure we've got to take a break anyway, so um, we'll, we'll cut at a nice memorable spot rather than uh, worrying too much about where exactly it is we cut off. So let's just refresh ourselves where we've been. We're going to pick up our reading in Isaiah 52, verse uh, 13, and we're going to study down through the end of the chapter. So let's just read that, and we'll go from there. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you... His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them uh, they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. This is the first of five three-verse sections. Okay? There are four other three-verse sections after this, and they form a poem that uh, is kind of its own standalone unit in this bigger section. Now let's get ourselves oriented, remember where we've been, especially for the sake of those who are kind of jumping onto the treadmill going full speed. God is talking to his nation, Judah, the southern kingdom. He's talking to these people. They're riding high right now. Hezekiah is their king. He's a good king. He's, uh, he's one of these guys that is very economically astute. If, we want, if you want somebody to run your Fortune 500 company, Hezekiah is your guy. He's not bad militarily either. And the nation is prospering under his care. However, despite the prosperity, despite having a good king on the throne, the people's hearts are far away from the Lord. 
there's some excellent people in good positions, high positions, but as a whole, the people are giving lip service to God, but their hearts are far from him. And so God says to them, he says, there's coming a day when my judgment is going to be on you. This heart attitude that many of your people have right now will spread through the nation like cancer. And I will come and I will judge this people. But, but, though you will be deported, though hard times are coming, though, as we read earlier in chapter 52, your ladies are going to wail in the streets and your sons are going to be casualties of war, though all of those things are going to happen, that's not the end of your story. You will be picked up. You will be brought back to the land. I will make sure that you're safe and that you're rejoicing. I'm going to go in front of you as a conquering captain, and I will also go behind you as your rear guard. You'll be completely protected on all sides. That's what God has been saying in chapter 52 to this point. Now the question comes up, how is that going to happen? How is it going to happen? Or better put, who's going to be in charge of this? Well, we talked about this last week. But what Isaiah is about to do is he's about to give a short answer Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Okay, we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But then, something comes over Isaiah, and he begins to use this political situation as a means to tell a much bigger story. Okay? Your nation is going to be in trouble Your nation is going to need deliverance. When my servant Cyrus is on the throne, I'm going to bring you up and I'm going to deport you. I'm going to to send you home, not deport you, but repatriate you back into your original home. But more broadly, more broadly, the entire world has a sin problem that they need deliverance from. The entire world is at odds with me. The entire world needs to be brought home to heaven. How will this happen? Just like my people needed to be picked up and brought to a specific place, and sin was the major issue, and they needed to be delivered from the powers that be, so people the world over need deliverance. They need to be picked up. They need to be brought home. And the answer is one and the same, of who will do that, who will affect that. Who and how are what Isaiah begins to answer now. Does that make sense, everybody? Any questions to this point? Okay? Are we all understanding, feeling like we, under, we're, we know where we're at? Good. Let's look at this verse. Behold, my servant, verse 12, shall act wisely. Now, in my Bible, there's a little footnote. How many of your Bibles also have a little footnote there? Okay, almost all the modern translations have a footnote there. And what does your footnote say the translation could also be? Yeah, shall prosper. 
this is an interesting word. He shall act wisely or he shall prosper. Okay? What if I told you that there was a, a, a really brilliant businessman who always had a knack for knowing where the market was moving and what inventions would be most Im- important, and he was always out in front of the movements of the people, and he made billions. Would you say he acted wisely, or would you say he prospered? Yes. <laughs> you would say he prospered because he acted wisely. That's actually the idea of this word here, and our translators didn't want to have too long of a sentence, I guess. But that's, that's the idea of the Hebrew phrase. He will prosper on account of his wisdom. His wisdom, his skill, his ability will create great success in his endeavors. So that's the statement right here in verse 12. How is it that God is going to pick up my people and bring them home? How is it that God is going to solve our ultimate problems? Behold, my servant, whose words and deeds will have such great wisdom, they can't fail. They will prosper. They will accomplish everything I want them to accomplish. Okay? Now, that's sort of the what. Now, how's he going to do that? How will this person act so wisely, so skillfully, that he will prosper? And that is where this passage begins to take a dramatic turn. The first thing we notice is that this servant will act wisely and will prosper because he will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. He will be high, he will be lifted up, and he shall be exalted. Now, when you read those words, he shall be high and lifted up, what immediately comes to mind? Yes, sir? Calvary, yes. When Isaiah 52 was written, had Calvary happened yet? No. So would the the original readers have read this and thought, oh, duh, the cross, which doesn't come for another 900 years. No, but what they did have was something that, a very unusual word that Isaiah has already used. So turn back with me to Isaiah 6. Okay? They look at that word and they go, oh, he'll be lifted up. What an unusual thing to say. Because it is an unusual thing to say. What might Isaiah have meant by that? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. This is a unique phrase that Isaiah uses that is specifically given to the Lord of hosts. Now, the person that he's explaining here is unusual. We have what we call the separation of church and state. We have that in our country. What do we mean by that? We mean that there should be a separation between church and state. Okay? That's a good thing. We weren't the first ones to think of it. God actually thought of it in his economy. In the law, 
the king was not allowed to be a priest. And you know who was not allowed to be a king? Priests. So let's see who this person is in Isaiah 6. Let's look here. He is sitting on a throne, and the train, so he's a, here's a king, he's high, he's enthroned, he's got a train, he's got royal clothing on, but where is he sitting other than a throne? Where is he sitting? Inside the temple, where kings were not allowed to go. But this person is unique. This is a unique person who is both priest and king. And he's apparently at the top of it all. Angels are worshiping him. His voice, when he speaks, thunders, and the, whole, the foundations of the whole thing quake. And we're told here that he is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with with his glory. So let's go back to Isaiah 52 now. Isaiah says, I'm going to pick you up and bring you home. This is a picture of a small problem. And I'm going to start talking now about a bigger problem. How's that bigger problem going to be solved? My servant the same one I already told you about, who is high and lifted up, who is a king and a priest and worthy of worship the world over? You say, wow, that's a person who could solve our problems. <laughs> and that's what Isaiah wants you to know. But there's another twist that you may not have expected. This person, king, priest, God himself, high and lifted up, has the prerogatives of deity, is in fact God. Verse 14, as many were astonished as you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This person is going to be beaten severely. Okay. This person is going to suffer. The path upward is going to be down to a lot of suffering. Now again, when the Jewish people read this, did they think, oh, that must be when Christ comes, when Jesus comes and dies on the cross. No, of course, they didn't have that yet. So let's turn to Psalm 22. Okay, turn over to Psalm 22. And you'll see a passage written before this, written before Isaiah 52, that they had available to them, and they should have gone, oh, that must be the same person. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, go to verse... Uh, well, let's just pick up our reading in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you think it was any coincidence that that's what Jesus cried when he was on the cross? He was deliberately tying himself, as he's being lifted up, a la Isaiah 52, he deliberately tied himself to Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me from my words of groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Go down to, um, to verse uh, 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's their mock. If he saved others, can he save himself? They wag their heads. Go down to verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths wide at me like a, uh, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. This is a person who will be beaten and hurt by others. He'll be so badly beaten and mocked that others won't even recognize him. People will wag their tongues at him and try to convince him to deliver himself from this suffering. His hands and feet are going to be pierced. They're going to gamble over his clothes. Well, that's the person that Isaiah 52 is talking about. So let's go back to Isaiah 52. This person is going to be beaten beyond human semblance. Verse 15. So, the word so, I, I don't, the word can mean that. It's the Hebrew word Cain. Not Cain as in Cain and Abel, but it's a simple word. It can mean so, but we often say so like, like a transition, you know. What if we were to change a word to a different meaning that this word can also have, and I were to say thus, or thusly? That's more of the idea. As many were astonished in you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of men, thus, or in this way, in this way of suffering, by means of this beating, he shall he sprinkle many nations. This word sprinkle is a special word. As we work through the book of Exodus, we're going to cover what this word means. Do you remember when uh, the Israelites celebrated the Passover? And they slew the goat, and they were supposed to put... Um, um, blood on the top of the doorpost and on the sides. The way that they did this is they put uh, a 
primitive sponge into the blood that they'd collected, and then they flicked it onto the posts. There was a splattering. This is the same word that priests were to use when they splattered blood on the altar. Uh, it's not a sprinkling in the, you know, you dip your fingers in and you kind of sprinkle it like this, though uh, maybe like my daughter loves to sprinkle sprinkles on top of cupcakes. And let me tell you, when Gracie puts, if you want, if you want a cupcake coated in sprinkles, just delegate Gracie to that task and you will get sprinkles. Okay, just all over. No, it's, it's, it's actually more like, I don't know that, I can't think of a task we do in our culture that is a parallel, but they take it and they flick it. And that's the word. It's a priestly word. They would flick blood onto the altar. It was messy. And so here we're told that this person is going to be beaten. He's going to be beaten beyond human semblance. And in this way, in this means of having his own blood brought forth from him, he will then take his own blood and flick it onto the heavenly altar to purge the sins, not just of Israel, but of the nations. Everybody, the goim, the world over. He will use his own blood to cleanse the sins of everybody. Everybody who asks for it anyway. So, how so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings, because remember, the person lifted up is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the great king that sits in the temple. Every lower king one day will shut their mouths at him. In Psalm 138, we're told all the kings of the earth will give you thanks, O Lord. They will, all kings will one day bow to the king of kings. Those kings that have done so many rotten and terrible things that have cost so many people so many lives that sit in their ivory towers and create dictates that other people carry out. They pursue their evil ends to death and destruction. They will stand before the king of kings and they will have no excuse. They will stand there silent and vulnerable as anybody else would be. And their mouths will be shut at him. And they that which have not heard, they understand. There's a, there seems to be th this, um, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Uh, this is um, an, a, a challenging section to translate. Not super sure what exactly Isaiah means beyond the fact that this message is going to go far and wide. Okay. This message is going to go beyond what any of these Jewish people thought. And that's our hint that Isaiah has stopped talking only about their limited situation and has started talking about something much bigger and broader than bringing a small group of refugees back to their homeland. Isaiah begins speaking about universal things. 
Okay. I want you to see a few other things, okay, from other passages of Scripture. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. The servant is going to prosper. The servant is going to have great success because he's God. And the God king will triumph by his own destruction so that he can serve as substitute for the people that actually deserve it. Okay? I want you to see briefly how important this was to the Lord. Let's go to John chapter 3. Okay? John chapter 3. Jesus is going to use similar terminology, the same terminology, with a different picture. Nicodemus, the leader of the Jews, the teacher of the Jews, came to him at night and said, we know you're from God. Nobody else can do these signs unless you're from God. And Jesus just kind of changes the subject on him and says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand that. He says, how can this be? They go on to have this discussion. Jesus says, how can it be that you don't understand, you, the teacher of Israel, don't understand what I'm saying to you? Now let's go down to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he's using these two concepts of lifted up, who can only be God, and then this serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness, the, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up so that whoever looks on him believes. And what are they being saved from? Verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Okay. What is this but a fulfillment of Isaiah 52? The nations are going to look. The nations are going to see. The nations are going to hear. The report is going to go out that this person, this lifted up person, was lifted up on a cross and was beaten and broken and marred. Let's turn over to John 8, 28. Turn over to John 8. Let's go to verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? I saw the king high and lifted up. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you 
that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. In the book of John, Jesus is going to go on seven more times to say that he's going to be lifted up. And each of those times, he's referring to Isaiah 52 and 53. He's going to be exalted and lifted up by being crushed and beaten and destroyed. Okay. By being hurt such that he, his blood is available to be sprinkled. All through the book of John, Jesus is talking about how it's very important to him that he will be lifted up. And let's close by going to the book of Philippians. Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Okay, let's stop there. If you remember what Isaiah has been talking about, we've been talking about these songs, my servant, my servant will prosper. Remember, we read that. My servant will act wisely. Paul was saying here, this Christ took on the form of the servant. He is the one that's spoken about. And how do we know that? Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And do you remember that we said that it was the son, or the servant rather, from Isaiah, would prosper, would act wisely, would have great prosperity because of what he was about to do. And what he was about to do was to suffer. Now, watch Paul pick that theme up right here. He says, therefore, because he was humbled to obedience to death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Remember, we said in Isaiah 52 that all the kings would stop and stand in silence of him and that people the world over would hear this message. Christ came and bore this death. He now has been highly exalted, verse 10, such that 
At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, let's stop there and ask a question. Would you say the theme of the Son of Man being lifted up on a cross and suffering and being exalted because of it is a major theme in Scripture or a minor theme in Scripture? I think we can say it's the theme of Scripture. Can you see that now? Do you see how it runs all the way through? This is the theme of the Bible. This is the theme of our lives. True believers never grow tired of hearing it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this lesson. We have to take a break from it for a while. But I pray that we would remember our Savior who obeyed your mission and obeyed your calling. And because of his great humility, the likes of which we cannot possibly yet know, he will be exalted beyond our imagination. And so I pray that we would be in the business now of holding him high and glorifying him. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.